breaking through the writer's block on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Digit. Save money without thinking about it. Get paid $5 just for signing up at servenomaster.com backslash digit today. Are you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Serve No Master Podcast, where you'll learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep. Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green. Now, here's your host. You're sitting at your desk. You finally have some quiet time away from your family or your kids or your job. The neighbors have stopped making noise and it's your one chance to start writing, but the words won't flow. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. For me, one of the challenges that I've been dealing with lately, and it's really affected this podcast, as you know, if you follow my emails, we've had a lot of medical problems in the family. I've had to travel and help take care of my wife and my kids and all of these things have happened and the podcast is the first and it's fallen off. I've still been recording episodes actually, so I'm not as far behind in the recordings. But the challenge for me is finding a time where it's quiet enough to record. I live on Paradise Beach and yet there's pretty much construction 24-7. Last night after I went to bed, I woke up a few hours later, walked outside, there were still 20 guys doing construction next door with a giant cement mixer. And here, for some reason, they love the circular saw. So there's a circular saw running around 22 hours a day. The only time that I can record where there's not a saw running near me is at five in the morning. But over the past few weeks, because of what's going on, my wife has started putting our son to bed earlier. He's just a little over a year old. He normally wakes up at 6 a.m., but lately he's been waking up at 4.30 or 5 a.m., and that's my recording window. And so getting a precious opportunity to record was coming rarer and rarer. Finally, last night, I made him watch a movie with me. It's a little before five, I'm about 20 minutes early recording today. I'm hoping to record two or three episodes to kind of catch up. But this means there's all the more pressure on these few moments where I get a bit of quiet because in addition to everything else, half the time when I come outside, it's pouring rain. I record these episodes on my porch, but if it's raining, the rain is so loud on the tin roofs near me in a real storm, and you've heard it in a few past episodes, that I can't record anything. If it's a full-on storm before I start recording, I can't do a full episode in the rain. It's too much. So all of these logistical challenges have kind of really made this time valuable and precious, and it's increased the pressure. I mean, there have been a few mornings where I've woken up, and there's a message, a work emergency, or something else that distracts me, or I can't think of what I want to do an episode about. I have about 50 ideas written down. Sometimes I look at that list, I go, I hate all of these. I don't like any of them. And I don't want to write about any of those topics or talk about those topics that day. So I know the experience of writer's block in this way because my time is so limited for podcasting. And when you have that moment of writer's block, there's two ways to deal with it. You can deal with it in the moment and you can deal with it through preparation. But let's imagine you're in the moment right now. Let's deal with it in the moment first. I'm a big, big believer in writing in Scrivener. I wish I was a Scrivener affiliate, but the program is so cheap, they don't pay anyone to recommend it. I've probably convinced hundreds of people to buy the software. I would say I use it not seven days a week, but very close to that. Out of the entire year of the 365 days a year, I use it more than 320 for sure. Just occasionally there are days where I'm not doing any writing or I take the occasional day off. But otherwise I would say I use it every day of my life. I used Scrivener yesterday. I worked on multiple different projects Scrivener yesterday. I love it because it divides up my documents into small sections. So when you get stuck in section five, 
when you're writing in Word or a traditional word processor and it's just a flow, well, there's nothing you can do. You have this just empty space in front of you. Otherwise, you just have to write skip section and then start the next section below it and it looks unwieldy and it feels uncomfortable, it feels unnatural. Both Scrivener and there's plenty of other writing doc programs that do the same thing. This just happens to be the one that I was trained on, happens to be the one that I use. Other people swear by other software. You can just jump to the next section, it's not a big deal. You can write out of order all the time and it becomes natural. And in fact, I was writing an outline of a book yesterday and I had an idea when I was writing like chapter seven and I thought, oh, I should skip this to earlier. See, because of my eyes, I now outline my books in a handwritten notebook. I do a lot of my outlining by hand. I want to spend as little time on the computer as possible to protect my eyes, to keep my eyes from getting tired or sore or strained. So I was writing down everything in the notebook and you can't just move things around. Normally when I move a chapter around, I'll draw an arrow from it and put it between the two chapters to move it into. And I thought as I was about to draw the arrow, I go, I don't need to. Because once I record, once I dictate these sections and put them in Scrivener, I can just drag and drop if I really still want to move the chapter around later. It's not a big deal. So when you're in that section, and you can't think of what to write, and you can't think of how to break through the writer's block, there are a couple of uh, exercises that you can do. The first is to skip to another section in your document. You can jump to the next chapter, you can jump later in the book, you can jump into an entirely different scene. I do this all the time. Yesterday I was working on a book, I got to a section where I realized I didn't have the notes on it prepared. For this particular project, I had started it before my eye problems began, so the notes are actually in my iPad. Yes, I use uh, an iPad, I've been using the same iPad, for as long as you've been following me, because I believe my iPad's five years old, at least. I've had it since before I met my wife, so that means it's at least five years old, but it might be six. I was recently trying to figure out which version it is, and I can't even figure out which version it is. You have to like look up the serial number or something. So I was trying to figure out, is it worth updating? And then I realized, well, the only thing I use it for, <laughs> I don't play games on it, I don't do any other apps on it, the only thing I use it for is mind mapping and outlining, and so far it's working like a champion at those. It works great with the new iPad version of Scrivener. That's all I need. I can import all of my books, and I can jump to any empty sections and dictate them out on the beach. But as soon as I hit that section, I go, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about next. I need more detailed notes. This is a technical section, and I realize the notes are actually in a Google Doc, so I don't have them with me. I go, I'll just record the section later. I jump to recording another section. I do something else. So sometimes writer's block can be caused by not having the information as opposed to not having the idea. And I'll re-record that section today. I'll go find those particular notes, add them to that Scrivener doc, and then when I go outside to dictate, everything will be all good. It can seem overwhelming and you get stuck in this moment saying, no, the problem is broken, I have to fix it right now. And when you try and fix a broken section, when you try and break through your writer's block, you end up writing slower, you end up writing something that's not that great, and you end up spending a lot of time writing a small amount of information. So you can either write 200 words about the section you've got writer's block on, or 2,000 words in some other sections. So the first thing I recommend is jumping to another section. The second thing you can do is to block out what you want to cover in the section. So sometimes I'll just write three or four bullet points, and then I'll move on. I'll say here's the three or four or five things I want to happen in this scene. Sam and Jessica talk. Sam and Jessica get into a cat fight. Jessica says, you know what, I never loved you anyways. Jessica grabs her bag and storms out. Four bullet points, okay? We cover the movement of the scene. You could almost think of it in the way that they write scripts. I listen to, actually, a lot of script writing podcasts because they approach scenes differently. 
and you can get away with less information to describe what happens. So you can just write down the rough idea, four sentences, more than enough information for you to write the rest of the book and you can go back and tighten up and rewrite that scene. Or if you don't know what happens, you can just do a general idea, increase the conflict. That way when you come back later, you know what you were looking for. In addition, I'm always working on multiple projects. This month, I have three books coming out. 20K a day, it's done, it's edited. I finished formatting it yesterday for Kindle. Now I need to format it for paperback, which will be done this week as well. The only thing holding back the release is that I need to finish the 20K page on my website and the 20K cheat sheet that comes with download as a free gift from the book. So the book is 99% done. Now the stuff in the book is finished. It's just the two accessories, the two extra things that I just have to complete that'll bring it across the finish line. Control your fate, fully dictated, fully transcribed. My new transcription has finished everything and sent it to me. And I finished dictating Influence and Persuasion yesterday. So I have to go through and do a little editing by hand with those to see what it finally looks like as a book for both of those books. And they should both be done in the next two to three weeks. And I'm probably gonna release two at the same time. But I've already started, I'm already halfway through dictating a ghost written book for another client. And I've got several more books outlined that are coming out next. I don't do projects in series. I don't start research for a book and stick with that book until it's completely done, edited and published, and then start on the next one. That's not how I approach books because of writer's block, because sometimes I get bored, sometimes I run out of ideas. I like to run projects in tandem. So I always have five or six books that are open. Right now, because I closed multiple books yesterday, I'm actually a little, little bit of a lurch. I'm gonna start recording a new book probably tomorrow. Once I finish the one I'm working on today, there's only a few chapters left. The ghostwritten book's almost done. But when I get caught up and I'm frozen in a scene or I'm running out of ideas, I go and work on a completely different project. So if you're feeling stuck in book A, this is why you should always have book B on the go. Now, you might not be at similar phases in both books. For example, in one book you might be in the creative process, in another book you might be in the research or analytical process. So you're sitting down to write and you realize, hey, book A is just kicking me in the pants today. I'm not feeling it. I'm stuck, I'm feeling frozen. Jump to book B and start working on your outline, you're working on your research, working on your idea. As an independent author, especially if you're in the fiction space, and I know that writer's block as a fiction writer can be tougher, working on a series is very, very valuable. The best way to achieve big financial success is to have a series of books so that when people finish book one, they read book two and then book three and then book four. You'll find that the majority of authors making big money as fiction authors, having big success as authors on Amazon, they're series authors. And that's a big, big key to success. And I can tell you that when I find an independent author, I read my way through their series. And getting me to jump from one series to the next by the same author, sometimes I hesitate. So I'll go, mm, do I wanna read another series by this guy? But the same author could have 20 books in a series and I'll read the whole series without even a thought about it. I'll jump from book to book to book in Kindle Unlimited. And even before Kindle Unlimited existed, I would just go book to book to book in the series. This is very powerful and this is a key to success. So planning your next book is worth it because that's when you start to achieve that financial success, having books two, three, four, or five. So even as a fiction author, you can start outlining the next book and I recommend staying within the series rather than jumping and going to a whole new topic. So when you're facing writer's block, most of my tactics are about avoidance. This is because I've never experienced anyone, heard anyone ever overcome writer's block directly by just attacking it. And I certainly never have. Now, this is if you have the hard version of writer's block where you can't think of a single word to write. There's a lesser version that I'm all too familiar with where where you're writing stinks. And that has happened to me quite a few times where I'm writing it and I'm not feeling it. Now, again, there are a couple ways of doing it. Depending upon 
what I'm writing. Sometimes I'll write it out and I'll mark it, I'll say, and I'll put an asterisk next to the chapter title in Scrivener so that I know the content is there, but I'm not happy with it. And sometimes uh, this will happen. I'll end up move. I'll go. This chapter's in the wrong place, and I'll move it around. This happened to me recently. I moved a book, uh, moved a chapter in the book, 20k a day. Earlier in the book, from the end, I go. This is in the wrong section. I moved it to the beginning, and I never rewrote it. I never re-edited it. And I only noticed in the final edit, the day before I started formatting it, because someone pointed out. It goes. This section's weird. And I looked and I realized that it was half of a section that I'd moved. It was an orphaned section that was no longer in the right area. Moving sections around, marking when something is broken, these help you to overcome the softer version of writer's block where you're just not happy with the scene, not happy with the section. And also, I have this belief that if you're 50-50, if you're kind of in the middle of the road on a section, I'm not really sure I like this, everyone will hate it. So you definitely want to throw an asterisk. You can just, again, just write out the idea or just write out some bullet points and be like, I'm gonna come back and read this later because I know it's not right. But beyond avoidance, sometimes the problem is my state. I'm a method writer. There are a lot of people who are method actors and I'm a method writer. So when I'm writing for a specific audience, I get into a specific emotional state. If you happen to read my book, Girl Gets Ring, the book is very emotional and I got into a deep emotional state. I was only watching Lifetime movies and listening to love song music and sad music at the time that I wrote that book. I wrote that book over the course of a week. And at the time, whenever people would talk to me, I would snap at them and be very emotional and be almost overly emotional, but this is how I would write in a way that my female audience responded to. And obviously work, because the book's been the most successful book I've ever worked on. I knew that my audience, a female audience, in reading a book about relationships, doesn't want a series of steps, doesn't want an analytical or objective story. They want an emotional journey. They can follow with. Men think about relationships often in a more analytical way or a more, I don't want to quite say scientific, but more step A to step B is to step C. Whereas women, especially in relationships, the journey is very important. And understanding my audience, understanding the language they speak, I modified my language and I had to get into that emotional state. And of course, it was very difficult for me to get out of it. But whenever I've worked on follow-up projects, that's what I do. Whenever I need to write a sad scene or I need to write something sad in one of my stories or talk about something painful, and as you know, there have been some sad experiences in my life recently. Well, I listen to the same song over and over again. There's this country music song. It's, I can't, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's from this movie that came out recently. It's a movie about Jeff Daniels and he's a country music singer, but he's got a big drinking problem and his life has fallen apart. And then he writes this song that becomes a hit for another country music singer. And it's a really good song. It's the only song in my country music mix. I have a country music folder in my Spotify and it's got one song in it. I think it's called The Lonely Kind, something like that. I'll post a link to the song below so you can see how sad it is in the show notes. But it makes me so sad. You know, dealing with alcoholism and problems with your kids, it's a problem in my family that I deal with as well. So it very much affects me. It might not affect you at all. You might hear the song go, meh. And that's the point. You find this song that makes you sad. I recommend Beginning to build out, whether using iTunes or Spotify or even if you have a classic Zune, playlists based on emotion. Say, these songs make me sad. I have a friend who died when I was young. He died at 17 in a car accident. And I have a very specific song that I play to remember him. In my heart, it's Michael's song. It's a song to you that may or may not be sad, may or may not be mean anything. The song might be a bit of a love song. I think it's a bit of a breakup, but the main line in the song is every time I close my eyes, I see your face. And so when I listen to that song, I close my eyes and I can see Michael's face. Now, Michael's been gone for 20 years now, and I try to remember him every day because as long as I can remember him, then a part of him is still alive. In the same way that I hope that these podcasts and my 
blog and my experiences with my children and my books will help me achieve a similar form of immortality through memory. Probably not forever, but hopefully for at least a few years after I'm gone. So I have songs that can bring out that emotion in me. When I'm writing a song about or section about grief, then I listen to that. So sometimes our problem is not that we can't come up with the words. Our problem is that we can't get into the correct emotional state. And as a method writer, I do that. And sometimes I need happy music and sometimes I need funny music. And so I use music as a tool. I'm a big fan of Bob Ross. I know that some people don't take him serious as a painter, but I actually think that he was a genius who found a way to bring painting as an art form, as the act of painting, as a craft to the masses. In the same way that most writers hated Hemingway for writing books that regular people could read, Bob Ross made paintings that regular people thought, oh, that's all right, I could do that if I followed along. And he would take you on the journey. And if you don't know who he is, he was the guy at PBS who had a show called The Joy of Painting. I have a few links to his show uh, throughout the website. There's tons of his videos on YouTube and you can order everything actually from Amazon. His show was on the air for 33 years. That's why everyone knows who he is. Everyone my age and older probably knows who he is. How many TV shows last that long? Besides Mr. Rogers, not many. So maybe it's just the fact that PBS shows last forever, but he would be painting and he would say, oh, this is a happy cloud and these are some secretive trees. So he would add emotion and adjectives to each thing he was drawing. And in the same way he would pull colors from his palette and they would speak to him. I use music in the same way I pull music from my palette to put me in the correct emotional state to help me paint my picture. Now, I don't do this with every single word I write. I don't always rely on music to create scenes. Many of the sections I'm writing are just stories to me or they're just part of my life where I'm just teaching something. Talking about how I write faster doesn't require me to get into an emotional state. So I don't use this all the time, but whenever I hit writer's block or I'm feeling stuck in a scene, it's one of the best things I can do. I've used this tool for seven or eight years and it's been very effective for me. Additionally, there are some exercises you can do to get warmed up. If writer's block, it's not based on the scene, it's not based on the emotion of the scene, it's not hard writer's block, we can't think of to write, but it's more of time-based. You're sitting down and because it's your one chance to write, you're kind of frozen, oh, I gotta be effective. And so the time, the moment is freezing you. I have another strategy for you. What you can do, and this is a technique that requires a pen and a notebook, and you write by hand, and as you know, I have three notebooks. I'm actually thinking of bringing a fourth into the mix. I'm doing so much writing by hand that I separate different notebooks. I have a notebook just for podcast stuff. I have a notebook for book outlines now. And I have another notebook where I just kind of write ideas. And mostly that notebook's almost totally filled up. So I mostly keep that around because that has the titles of a bunch of book ideas that I'm, I thought about doing still in it. So that notebook's almost dead. And I'm going to bring in a new one. And I may even bring in an eye notebook as I'm doing more eye exercises to work on when I'm away from the computer. But having more and more notebooks, I'm a big believer in. It's funny that as you become more and more technological, we begin to rely more and more on classic tools. And there are some you know, cool, fancy notebooks out there. There's a notebook out there now that you can write in. And everything you write in, it appears in your computer. And then you can microwave it and use it again. You can use this notebook five times. That's kind of cool. I don't own a microwave, <laughs> so I'm really limited. I thought it was kind of interesting, but then you only get to do it five times. I'd rather have something that's like unlimited. Then I'd be amazing. But probably five times is a lot anyways. Five times is probably enough for me because that means it would last about a year to two years. But sit down with your notebook, put pen to paper, and then your job is to close your eyes and just write whatever comes into mind. Forget your project, forget the scene you're supposed to write about. Just write, set a timer. If you do five minutes, great. If you can only do 30 seconds, that's acceptable. And just write, don't worry about spelling, punctuation. You can't, you're writing by hand. What you're doing is unlocking your creative part of your mind. When your eyes are closed, and your hand is just writing, and it doesn't matter what you write, you remove 
all of the pressure. See, when it doesn't matter what you write, you remove the pressure from your mind. Your hand can just write whatever comes into it. When you cover your eyes, you remove the second pressure of checking for mistakes or analyzing. Look, you're gonna fall off the line. The writing's gonna look ridiculous. Some of your spelling's gonna be wrong. Punctuation's gonna be in the wrong place. But because you can't see it, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter because that's not why we're writing. We're not writing for perfect punctuation. I don't use punctuation, grammar, or spelling at all in my initial writing. Total waste of time. I'm in the creative space. I'm in the zone. I'm in the flow. I don't want things that slow me down. I don't have spell check activated on any of my programs. I don't have grammar check activated. If I want to do a grammar check, I have to open up a separate piece of software and copy my work into it. It's the only way to do it. Writing in this way, with your eyes closed by hand, it will just release a bit of your creativity and it can break that stopper. It can break through that writer's block in an unexpected way. So whatever is distracting you, it's no longer distracting you. Sometimes it's just, oh, I just need to get writing. I just need to get warmed up. Sometimes when I'm writing, I don't like what I'm working on. And so I just need to get that last block out of the way. I just need to get started. I just need to get a few words out of me. Now this happens to me more when I'm writing by hand than when I'm dictating. Usually when I'm dictating, I don't have a problem in the same way. With dictating, once I go through my ritual and I'm sitting out on the dock and I've gone through the steps of my process and I'm out there, then I, it's really just talking. So it's not as much of a barrier for me. But when I'm writing, Especially when I'm working on a book I'm not that excited about or I haven't outlined in enough detail, that's when these things start to happen. So to prevent writer's block as a whole, I want to circle back to that core idea. Writer's block occurs when we haven't prepared enough. A hard writer's block where you can't think of anything, that's a sign that you didn't outline or research or prepare enough. If you have soft writer's block, you just can't come up with the right words, well that's the emotional stuff will help you get over and the activities will help you get in the right zone. But if you're sitting there and you're going, oh, I don't even know what I'm supposed to write in this section, well, that's a problem. I don't know what to write or I don't know what I'm supposed to write next is a sign. See, the book I'm ghostwriting right now, I ran into that a little bit. Because of lack of preparation, I couldn't work on a section. And part of it is that I was originally writing it on the computer and I had one set of notes here and I had the Scrivener over there and I had some recordings from the person I'm working with on another screen. But because I had to change and I have to dictate the book because of problems with my eyes, because of my inability to spend as much time at the computer as I used to, it's led to a series of little problems. You know, it's kind of built into something. It's not a huge problem. I'm gonna open up the two note files and copy the notes into the Scrivener this morning and then the problem is gone. The lack of research leads to writer's block. You should spend more time researching than you do writing. For every minute writing, you should spend nine minutes researching. My books, researches everything. I have an assistant who works for me. All she does is research. <laughs> I send her videos, books, training courses, and she sends me back notes on them. I don't have time to research everything in the world that I want to. I wish I did. Sometimes I'll send her a 30 or 40 hour video training course and she sends me back a couple of PDFs of notes. That helps me to gather that information, kind of find the best nuggets of wisdom. For example, if someone puts out a course about putting out books on Amazon, I'll have her take notes on everything. I say, really, only take notes on stuff that I've never heard before. So anything about different ways of getting reviews, that's the most important thing to me, finding new ways of getting reviews, that's when I bring her into the picture. And that's, for me, that's where the gold is. If she can find something there, that little nugget that I haven't heard anywhere else, then I add it to my own repertoire and I test it. And if it works, then I begin to share it with my audience. They don't always work, most of the time they don't, but sometimes it's a cool idea. A lot of times it's an idea I've heard before, but tried or didn't try. So I'm always looking for that specific nugget of wisdom though in the content. But research is that important that in addition to my own research, I have someone who works for me full time just doing research. And in fact, as I look at expanding the team, I might even bring in another researcher. It might become necessary to have more researchers. 
so that I can have more content prepared. With how my life is changing, I'm making a lot of adaptations. Now that I dictate everything, I'm not spending as much time on the computer, it's changing my output and changing the way I work. So I may need more research, I may be able to increase my output, the amount of time I spend outside dictating, and I may do some changes to the workflow, but the research, it's critical. When you're writing fiction, if you don't know what's gonna happen in the scene, don't write by the seat of your pants, of course you're gonna get writer's block all the time. Read the Libby Howe book, Write It By The Seat Of Your Pants, or Pants Off Outlining. I recommend that book all the time. I read it, I think it's really brilliant. When I finish off my list of 150 nonfiction titles, I'm gonna jump into fiction. And I've already kind of thought through some of the outline of the first 10 books in my series in my mind. I haven't spent a, as much time as I'd like going through all of Libby's activities, but I found it very manageable and very understandable. So this is what I recommend. Research, prepare yourself, put everything together. It's not just about putting together the time and getting ready to Right. It's also about having the information ready. So right now my son is asleep, he slept in late, it's not raining out. There are some birds making noise. It's, it's hard to get it perfect, isn't it? Maybe there's the occasional boat, but at least no one's blasted by in their motorcycle, which I consider a big win. So we've got through this recording without a massive noise surprise in the background that I'll have to edit out later. But all that wouldn't be enough if I sat down and I said, well, I don't have an idea of what I want to write about. But in fact, I thought yesterday writer's block is a good topic. That's what I want to write about. So prepare yourself in advance and use these techniques and you'll never have to face writer's block again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back tomorrow with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Serve No Master podcast. Join me on my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash serve no master.